This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! Well, good evening uh, to everybody. A late night after hours, almost tomorrow hours. Uh, we, <laughs> we are here. Tomorrow, the, tomorrow hours. Yeah, for those that are uh, on the East Coast. Um there was one here, LJ Carter, who's here from Australia, which is a perfect podcast for him during the lunchtime. Um, but I know that we are all uh, going to catch it on the repeat if you have missed it live. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're here. Appreciate you guys. And uh, if you're listening, make sure to subscribe on YouTube, everything else where you get your podcasts. Uh, Jamie and I got to watch this game. And just a little uh, scheduling update for next week. We will be doing it next week. Monday. Uh, we won't be doing it on Sunday either, but probably a little bit earlier than 9 p.m., I think, probably for uh, next Monday. But regardless, let's talk about it. The Chargers are now 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Get a win on the road against the Texans. Uh, started off fast. Uh, looked good into halftime. Got a little bit away from them in the third quarter. We were able to kind of close it out in the, in the fourth quarter, but ultimately they get the win and they're 2-2. Two and two. Yeah, I you know I saw a lot of I didn't watch the game live. I had to watch the replay um, because of softball and family. And um, I was following the game live on my phone during games and following on Twitter and saw people freaking out about even after the win, people freaking out about the game. And honestly, I guess uh, I'm just going to lean into the positive take here. Obviously, they won, which is yeah. a good thing. That's mm-hmm. a positive. Um, but if looking even more into that, it seemed like they were more aggressive with the passing game on Sunday. Um, they weren't taking, you know, they weren't throwing go routes down down the middle of the field or down the sidelines and, and pushing the ball. But they had several big explosive plays in the passing game early in the game that set up scores. Um, <clears throat> they got Austin Eckler going on the ground and as a receiver particularly in the red zone, which is an area where it seemed like he wasn't touching the ball a whole lot the first three weeks of the season. They got huge contributions out of Jamari Salyer. Mm-hmm. Um, they even got a big strip sack out of uh, Jerry Tillery in the fourth quarter that helped uh, quell a, a late drive by the by the Houston Texans. That um, they couldn't recover like nine times. They couldn't recover it, but <laughs> it did wind up forcing a field goal, and it mm-hmm. kind of changed the complexion of the game at that point. Yeah. Allowed them to maintain the lead. Uh, and more importantly, they finished. And I had people telling me they, they didn't finish. Well, it was a three-point game. It ended a 10-point game. The offense went down the field in the final seven minutes when they needed to, called the right plays at the right time, got a touchdown they needed, and the defense ended the game with an interception. And the Chargers basically finished the game with the ball in their hands in a 10-point lead. In a road game, in an NFL where pretty much every game seems like it's being um, decided by one score. Yeah. So there's a lot of positives there. Was it perfect? No, but it was a huge improvement over what we saw last weekend. Huge improvement on a lot of fronts. And I think anytime you get a road win, no matter what the quality of the team is, particularly by two scores, you've had a good weekend. Yeah. And, uh, we got, people from Costa Rica in here and there was one from Hungary in here in Australia. What's up everybody. I'm glad you guys could tune in, but yeah, I I think this is a pretty good place to start because you know, the first quarter win or the first half win as good as you could 
picture it other than that big kind of uh, run by Pierce, which um, which I'm sure we, we can get to at some point. But uh, other than that, it was a pretty clean first half. And then it just kind of went sideways. I think that's just how football games go. And though they kind of let them back in that game and you don't really want to, Brandon Staley kind of summed it all up and kind of how I felt was like a great game, great win. Uh, we did some things in there that we, ha- we have to correct if we want to put teams away, but ultimately they got the win. I mean, they went... They fumbled the kickoff, that kickoff, and the Texans had a chance to win that game, and or at least go up. Excuse me, they were only up six at that point. But then, at, like Jamie mentioned, there was that uh, strip sack fumble by Jerry Tillery, and they forced him to go for three. And then Chargers still have the lead, a three point lead now. And then they shut the door on offense, go down, march down the field, uh, get a touchdown, and then Bryce Callahan gets an interception to seal the game. I mean, I don't know that there's a better. Uh, way to end we that game it. what did you lose me you froze for a second there oh i lost um, you for a second but you're back oh, okay um i don't know that there's a better way to finish a game in the way the chargers did it was a close game um the texans aren't uh, a great team but they were able to at the end uh, they were able to force them into a field goal when they had a chance to go up. They then go down, march down, score that touchdown, and then they seal it with that pick at the end. So really, if you – I know the third quarter seems to be the focal point for a lot of Charger fans. If you think about the first half and how great that went, you have to focus on that last – back-to-back-to-back possessions where the Chargers stood strong, forced a field goal, scored a touchdown, and then got a turnover to end the game. That's what I think matters most in this game than the first half, the third quarter. The way in which they were able to finish, I think, was more impressive than the way they let the Texans come back in that third quarter. Yeah, I mean, you get the ball back up three, having wasted a 20-point lead um, with eight minutes left in that game. And the Chargers take six and a half minutes off the clock, methodically march, march the ball down the field, running the ball pretty well when they needed to, and passing the ball effectively to put points on the board. Then they, they turn the ball over on defense to put the game away. You can't ask for a much better game. And, you know, if it's not for that that fumble kickoff return, you might be talking about a 17-point a win mm-hmm. or more. There were a couple plays in the third quarter of that game on consecutive drives where Everett dropped a third down pass with uh, Steven Nelson on the ground, Mm -hmm. um, wide open. That's going to be a breakaway run. I forget where they were on the field, but maybe there's a chance he takes that into the end zone. There's another play on third down on on the next drive, on the preceding drive, where they hit Eckler on a screen, and he's got three blockers out in front of him. And And Filer sidesteps to safety and lets him make a tackle on Eckler. If Filer makes that block, that's a touchdown for sure because I think they're past midfield at that point. Mm -hmm. It's at least a first down. And and the the drive continues, and maybe they get points out of that drive too. I mean, that from an offensive standpoint, I I don't think it was a play-calling issue. I I don't think they went conservative. Now, if you want to take issue with them giving the ball to Sony Michelle starting in the third quarter and force-feeding him the ball with the lead, I'll I'll agree with you there. I don't like that. I don't like the personnel usage. I really don't like the idea that they have to give the ball Michelle in the second quarter or in the third quarter there. I have a feeling it was because uh, Kelly was hurt and they didn't want to run Eckler into the ground in that game, which I can kind of understand. But in my opinion, 
it's not a play calling issue. It's an execution issue. They, they kind of lost focus there up by 20 points in the third quarter, gave up a big play in the passing game, a couple of drop, a drop, a missed block on a screen. I mean, the chargers, they were a couple plays away there from probably putting that game away by 17 to 24 points, to be honest with you, even yeah. with as poorly as they played in the third quarter. So I think the 10 point game is a little misleading. And I think after what we saw against the Jaguars last week, you have to be happy with the fact that they they raced out to a big lead and they found a way to finish the game because that's what playoff and championship caliber teams do. They finish games when they have a chance to win them, and the Chargers did that. And now they got to go clean up some some execution issues. There's still some lingering things from from that uh, Jaguars game that needs to be cleaned up. But the play calling has been better. Mm-hmm. The offense was much more efficient and much more productive this week. The defense was really good with the exception of the third quarter, and not all of that was their fault. They got put in mm-hmm. some bad spots. Um, I think with the exception of a couple glaring issues on defense, I think the defense played pretty well. And overall, this is a big win. Yeah, they never – and I was I was surprised by that too, Jamie. And it was something I wanted to talk about before you even uh, tweeted it out today. Um, it, it just seemed like it, if you look at the score – card it looked like a pretty convincing win if you realize that they never ever lost the lead in that entire game uh it seems pretty convincing if you look at the fact that they had the most points in a first half since 2018 um then you think it's a pretty convincing win there's a lot of there's so many good positives from this game especially in the way they were able to bounce back and answer that kind of ass whooping they had against the jaguars to come out and win that game and to jump out to the lead they did, I think was pretty impressive. They had their guys ready to go. And the, Jamie and I talked about how this was pretty close to a must must win here, even as early as the season is. This is a really soft part of the schedule. If they would have lost two in a row and fallen to one and three, they're in some big trouble. And so they went out and they got their win on the road, which isn't easy. Uh, they went into Houston and got the road win. And I know that that third quarter is glaring for a lot of people and that's what everybody's focused on. But I think there were two major issues for me. And, uh, if the first one is what Jamie talked about the, this whole like running back shuffle that they're doing, they had negative three rushing yards the entire first quarter until Joshua Kelly got back to back to back carries of six, five and five, who was able to get the running game started. He opened things up and then Eckler got goes five and then a 10 yard run. And then after that, they started to force feed Sony Michelle. And on the final drive, it was Eckler who had a 10 yard run. He set up a first down and then it became back to back dump offs to Sony Michelle for one yard and then an incompletion. And then on third down, Eckler gets three. And then Eckler gets the first down on a fourth down where he goes for 21. And then they followed up with back-to-back handoffs to Sony Michelle. And then Mike Will gets the first down. Then Eckler gets the touchdown. So it was like what the two straight drives where you're starting to just give Michelle some touches doesn't make any sense in that point in the game. He Eckler's already scored two touchdowns. He's averaging almost five yards a carry at that point. If he needs a break, that's fine. Um you know, but it just seems to me that, you know, Joshua Kelly was much more effective than Michelle was. But either way, Eckler needs the touches. The handoff for two to Michelle makes sense. If you're just trying to get him in, pa- or even if you want to give him a pass pro, which makes more sense to me, but giving him back to back plays on two separate sequences is a little excessive in my mind. 
He didn't have a single carry in that first half, and Michelle gets six carries in that second half for 11 yards. He was he averaged more less than two yards a carry. You just give your balls to the best player, and Eckler is that guy, and they weren't giving it to him late. And, you know, the whole let's go with a hot hand thing is just seems like a farce at this point. It's almost like they're kind of playing favorites with the running back room with uh, Sony Michelle and uh, giving him some uh, manufactured touches. When you see that Kelly's much more effective, uh, you talked up Spiller all through training camp, even though you say he's not ready, that running back rotation, that's my only concern from this game, other than one of the thing, which we can get to in a little bit, but everything else with that kind of, you know, rough third quarter. I mean, they bounced back and won that game pretty handily. And like Jamie said, it could have been a lot more than just a 10 point win. So I, I understand this, the qualms with the running back rotation. I don't understand this. Like this team is doomed and Lombardi should be fired after they won uh, and put up so many points in that game. Yeah. Let me read you some stats from the game. I think okay. this kind of puts things in perspective. Chargers had 22 first downs. The Texans had 16. Chargers were 8 of 16 on third down and 1 of 2 on fourth down. So 9 of 18 on money downs. When the did Texans they – oh, were, the, when they knelt down? They – The missed fourth down? I don't remember the missed – it must have been the kneel. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, the Texans were 4 of 14 on money downs. Chargers put up 419 yards of total offense. They averaged 8.5 yards per pass. They had four sacks. And they won the turnover battle two to one. So the Chargers basically won every meaningful stat in that game. <laughs> uh huh. And people are yeah. complaining that it was shit. Yeah. So, you know, for eight years, we've been the negative podcast. We've been the ones that everybody <laughs> says are negative and too hard on them. And we're never happy and we're cynical. So we're going to lean into this whole realist. positive thing. Let's lean into the positivity thing. This is a good win, it's an important win. They cleaned up a lot of things they needed to clean up from last week. There are still some lingering things that need to clean up, and there are a few other things that popped up this week that we had not seen the first three weeks. But overall, to go on the road, face some adversity, come away with a two-score win on the road when they could have easily folded after things started to fall apart in the third quarter, I think is a positive. And the finish of that game, the last eight and a half minutes of that game, in my opinion, is what defines this team, not the third quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, they had the most first half points since 2018. So if we're talking about firing Lombardi, uh, we need a whole new narrative. And yeah, we'll lean into this positivity thing, but we won't do it blindly. Uh, it's because they deserve it. And I think everybody's focused on the negative here, even though the Chargers won pretty handily. And yes, that last three possessions which we talked about was the most important part of that game and they won it and uh, they were able to close the door and get a win on the road jamie uh we've already gone 15 minutes or so and we haven't talked about jamari's salier i think it's about that time i mentioned him he was one of the first things i mentioned off the top of the podcast i but know it was brief. but we gotta we gotta get way more into it because he was an absolute joy to watch yeah, I think the two biggest storylines for the Chargers in this game, in my opinion, are Salier and Eckler. Those are the two of the guys that really drove this win, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Eckler on the ground and as a receiver, and Salier, I mean, for not having played any tackle in the preseason mm -hmm. and being slid in there um, basically on a whim because they yep. knew they couldn't put Storm Norton out there against Jerry Hughes, who 
I'm not sure if I have the stat right, but I think I saw somewhere that he had the third highest pass rush win rate in the league going into that game. And he was and fourth Salier in the league had, in sacks coming what's into that? that game. He was fourth in the league in sacks. Fourth in the league in game. sacks. Mm-hmm. Salier had 41 pass blocking attempts, didn't give up a pressure, a hurry, a quarterback hit, or a sack. Mm-hmm. And I believe he was the Chargers' highest rated offensive lineman. I think he was their highest rated offensive player, if I'm not mistaken. He was the by PFF. Uh, highest rated offensive player in the NFL. Yeah. So he not only did he dominate as a pass protector, but he dominated in the running game. Um, he was very highly guarded in both. And for him to come out for a guy who everybody questioned his athleticism coming out of college, I think that was a reason why most people didn't think he'd play tackle at this level. Yeah. Even though he had plenty of good tape um, at tackle and at the collegiate level, for him to come out and play that way in his first start is amazing because mm-hmm. it took so much pressure off of Justin Herbert, allowed him to sit back and 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 uh, view the field and go through his progressions and make plays. He didn't have to worry about getting hit from behind constantly um, like he would have if if Norton had been out there. It, just, it changed the game. So I, I think he, he definitely deserved the game ball he got. Mm-hmm. He deserves all the kudos in the world. That was an amazing game, and hopefully we see a lot more of that. Yeah, I mean, it felt like they snuck Rashawn Slater in at left tackle and just gave him a 68 jersey. That's how good he looked. It was incredible just how solid he was in the run and pass pro, uh, the way he was able to get out in space, the way he was climbing to the second level, the way he was turning guys. I mean, yeah, like Jamie mentioned, I mean, this te- Texans pass rush isn't the best in the league, but Jerry Hughes is no Jerry Hughes is no slouch. Fourth in the league in sacks. Uh, he's still got a lot of juice, even this late in his career. And so, uh, yeah, he deserved every part of that game ball, not having a single snap of left tackle in the preseason or a camp coming in cold as a six round pick rookie in an NFL game and performing the way he does or did was so, so impressive. And then it begs the question as everybody is doing in the uh, chat here, does going forward in 2023, does Rashawn, does Rashawn Slater, does Jamari Salier flip over to right tackle and Rashawn Slater at left tackle, or does Salier flip into left guard? Where would you like to see Salier go in 2023? Um, I would like to see him play right tackle. My guess is he's going to play left guard, and they're going to re-sign Trey Pipkins. Yeah, because that I is, think mm-hmm. I think Filer's going to force their hand. He is playing like absolute dog shit yep. right now. Mm-hmm. He is terrible. He is not. It's not just that he's not making blocks. There is little to no effort on several plays on tape where he's just not trying. He's not getting to his marks. He's not making his blocks. He's sidestepping ta- uh, blockers at time or blocks at times. It's just like he doesn't want to be out there. And the effort is bad. The technique is bad. They're gonna. They're putting him in a spot. He's putting the team in a spot where they're almost going to have no choice but to cut him to save money. And I think Salier will slide in to left tack, left guard. And uh, if he does, that's going to make for a pretty mean left side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for wherever he goes. But that was the uh, thought I had. I was thinking right tackle uh, just because it's so hard to find tackles. But having Salier on one side and Slater on the other, I think it'd be easier to find uh, another left guard to replace Filer because this is – 
hopefully his last stint uh, with the Chargers. He's been bad. I mean, hope maybe he turns it around. I, I don't know. Maybe he's having a real slow start to the season. And he was good last year. He was borderline old pro in my mind. But um, this year, and I, not just to put it into perspective, I thought he was very good last year. But this year, he's just not good at all. Um, dog shit might be close, like Jamie. <laughs> I think. I think. Uh, also, you know, I see people talking about Pipkin saying he's been good this year and he should stay. And hmm. you know, he's been pretty solid. I, you know, I'll give him credit. He's been solid. He's he hasn't been a glaring liability, and he's been much better in pass protection, in particular, than I expected. Um, I will say though, this is year four. Um, he's had four good games so far, maybe six if you count two last year. Mm-hmm. I'm a little, not a little. I'm a lot concerned about the Chargers re- overreacting to a relatively small sample size and throwing a ton of money at him over three or four years because he's been a pet project. And it's like, oh, see, we told you he can play, and they're going to throw like nine or ten million dollars at him, and and then that's a problem because I don't think he's worth that. And I yeah. think mm-hmm. anything more than like a two-year deal for somewhere in the five to seven million dollar range for him, unless his play like goes through the roof the rest of the season, based on a small sample size, would be bad business. I think it'd be a mistake. Yeah, I'd love for them to have a two-year deal, kind of a uh, minimum scale here, and have him compete with Salier for the right tackle job. And the if Salier doesn't win. Uh, gets kicked in the left guard, and if Pipkins loses, he becomes a swing tackle because I think that's a pretty good uh, move in terms of depth, having pretty three strong tackles there. I would not like to give Pipkins a big contract after a pretty good – and he's been solid. I don't want to say he's great. Salier was great uh, on Sunday, and that's an even smaller sample size, so we're also kind of projecting – Salier as well, full disclosure. But if he does keep playing the way he does, I mean, there's just not, you can't have enough good tackles in the NFL. So I would like to keep, I would like to keep Pipkins only if the idea is that they want to uh, bring him in as competition and maybe kick him as a swing tackle if Salier can win that right tackle job. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. And there was somebody uh, who was asking a question. Oh, so, what do you think about Filer? Uh, it's a very, very dramatic drop off in production. It's bizarre. I would say that uh, it might have something to do with his age. I know he's up there, uh, has dealt with some injuries in his career. So uh, maybe it's just getting old. And he had some injuries last year too, right? Because they had to play um, Calamete at left guard mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a couple of games. So we sure did. You know, could be his body breaking down. It could be, I don't know. I, we're speculating, but yeah. Yeah, we're totally speculating. We don't have any inside information on <laughs> no. this. Uh, it's, yeah. it's very bizarre. <clears throat> what I'm seeing on tape really doesn't make sense based on the way that he played last year. It's strange. You're, yeah. You know, you hope everything is okay, you know, mentally and with his family and emotionally and all that kind of stuff because he he's playing like a guy who doesn't want to be on the field. And sometimes that can indicate that there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Again, speculation. <laughs> Haven't heard anything. Not saying yeah. he's, you know, he's got anything going on. It's just it just seems like it's it's such a big drop off that it seems like there's gotta be something going on that we don't know about. Yeah. Um okay, so um, also want to, uh, 
talk about the interior defensive line because uh, I think they deserve a pretty big shout-out here uh, in this game. I thought uh, Khalil Mack was huge. Uh, big fourth down sack before halftime uh, on the Chargers 23. They were driving. Uh, they were looking to score points. And he also had the big hit that forced the interception on the Nas pick. He was pretty disruptive in this game. Uh, Sebastian Joseph Day was really disruptive. Had a tackle for a loss, a sack late, uh, a set up a fourth down. Morgan Fox had a sack. He had the pressure on Mills on that fourth down that kind of forced the errant throw, or at least that floater, that prayer that Mills threw up. And then he got the holding call against uh, the offense on top of that. And he got slapped in the helmet all on top of all that. Um, Covington was uh, flashed a couple times, had two big run stops with uh, Joseph Day and the aforementioned Jerry Tillery. Uh, forced the sack fumble and quite a few pressures on Mills. I saw 99 in the backfield a lot, and I thought Austin Johnson flashed a lot more. A guy who's been uh, absorbing double teams, kind of becoming a wall in the run game. I thought he's been pretty stout, but this time getting a little bit more in the backfield, I thought, uh, than past games. And I thought Austin Johnson was also a uh, uh, had a strong showing on Sunday. Yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned Covington, a guy that people were bitching and moaning about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yep. He had a couple run stops. There were a couple other plays where he flashed penetration and, and forced the running backs to stop their feet and helped set set up teammates to make stops. Um, Fox mm-hmm. has been – I mean, you could make an argument that Fox was the best defensive signing the Chargers made this offseason, but the way he's played. <laughs> I mean, SJD and Johnson have both been really good. Um, not always from a statistical standpoint – Mm-hmm. But doing their jobs and clogging up lanes and giving you know the linebackers a chance to come down and make plays, um, but Fox has been. It seems like he's in the middle of every sack, whether he's getting the sack or getting pressure up, you know, forcing the quarterback to slide or step up or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. He seems like he's in the middle of everything. He's been really good, and he's yeah. been even better against the run than I thought he'd be, considering he's a little undersized to be playing inside. So that whole group played really well. Tillery. You know, he had the strip sack that we mentioned earlier. Um, there were several other plays where, you know, he was taking on double teams and was able to hold his ground and give teammates a chance to make plays. I think he was right around the ball on a couple of other run stops. I don't think he got credit for the run stops, but he was right there with a chance to make plays. Seems like you're starting to see some some development in his game. He hasn't been the pass rusher that he's been in years past but he's getting much better as a lane clogger uh, and a run stuffer in terms of playing team defense, being disciplined and setting his teammates up for success. Mm-hmm. So I think he deserves a lot of credit. I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter that he's, he's regressed. Uh, I mean, he's been the worst defensive lineman in the league for the last three years. I don't know how <laughs> you can say he regressed. <laughs> I think it's, I think in my opinion, you're seeing some baby steps. He is, at least becoming somewhat serviceable as a rotational piece. You want more out of a first round pick, obviously going mm-hmm. into year five, but of course he is better now than he was last year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, to- I totally agree with that assessment. Will Edwards asking, and that's, this is what people were uh, a little upset about is Tito was the uh, inactive player for Christian Covington. Uh, what do you think about him being inactive this week, even though Tito's been playing pretty well this season? Um, I think Tito is a guy who is strictly a run stuffer right now. He's not offering much as a pass rush. Mm-hmm. And he's more of a 
you know, zero technique in my opinion, maybe a one technique where he's taking on double teams. He's not going to get a lot of penetration. You know, you, you, I think they were probably trying to maximize pass rushes as much as they could. And that's why mm-hmm. we saw Covington play this week. Um, and that's just not something that Tito does at this point. I'm, I'm not as concerned with a fifth round pick being inactive as I am with guys like Spiller and Woods being inactive every week. Yeah. That in my opinion is a much bigger problem than a fifth round defensive tackle who was kind of a developmental prospect to begin with. And he's yeah. playing in a much deeper group than, than Woods and, and um, Spiller are Spiller. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's right on. That's exactly right. Uh, and Quite honestly, Covington had a great game, so it really ended up working out. I know that people were upset about it, and they want to see the rookie get his snaps, but quite honestly, I mean, Tito has had um, some pretty nice uh, plays, but I think Covington flashed more in this game than Tito has in the first three. But, um, I, you know, it, whatever they did, it worked out better because Covington had a, a really, really good game, and uh, he ended up getting a lot in the backfield a lot and having a, a – few good run stops uh since we're talking about defense um dan glenn wants to talk about this Adderley assessment and this was the second thing i was going to say that uh was kind of a disappointment in this game and it was nasir Adderley. um i know he had the uh interception on the first drive uh with that big hit from uh, mac on mills but he was atrocious in his tackling on Sunday. He was the last line of defense on that 75-yard touchdown from Damian Pierce. He took an awful angle. Uh, Nas, uh, looking back at it, was supposed to be the deep help on uh, Nico Collins. Big catch. He took a horrible angle on that one. J.C. Jackson was in coverage. Uh, J.C. got roasted on Twitter. It was, again, Nasir Adderley not being able to give him help over the top, even though he thought he had it. And he had four missed tackles that I count. He had a real negative impact on this game. And it's not a good look for a guy who's supposed to be your last man of defense when he just can't tackle. He was kind of more of an enforcer last year. Uh, he was a big hitter. Uh, his tackling was a little bit better last year. But so far through four games, they have not been very good. Yeah, he seems like he's taken a couple big steps back. And I'm not really sure what's going on with him. Um yeah. The interception was nice. I mean, yeah. it was a JT Woods interception. It was <laughs> ball was overthrown by ten yards and it hit him in the stomach. Yep. Give him credit; he caught it. Yeah. But he was kind of out in space, floating around. It didn't seem like he was. He didn't do anything special to get in to get that play. It just kind of fell in his lap. Mm-hmm. But he made it. Credit to him. Yeah. Other than that, lots of bad angles. Pretty much. Every angle was bad. Was a bad angle in that game, um, and it wasn't just on the long run. There were several runs where he was way too aggressive with his angle, oh. and, and the running backs beat him, mm-hmm. um, beat him to the spot. So, really rough day for for Adderley. I think he's been pretty bad overall this season, uh, both in coverage and against the run, and in terms of tackling, hit him in the tummy. Yeah, <laughs> did you see yeah, that? LJ's right. Yep, it hit Mister Adderley <laughs> right in the tummy. <laughs> the interception that's right christian it hit him right in the tummy <laughs> um oh matthew said that staley said the deep post to nico was nas nico isn't even fast oh i didn't hear staley cop to that yeah because he yeah, he, he said that the last time too oh okay yeah, yeah i just saw it re-watching to be playing it. deeper in the post and jumped it for some reason yeah. So that was Adderley. Yeah, so, um, it's a problem because right now Adderley is 
other than Derwin, he's the most athletic and most likely playmaker on the back end. You can't trust Gillum back there. Oh you can't God. have him play play deep like Adderley's he, doing. He's getting less than he's getting around like fifteen to seventeen snaps, and every time I'm I'm scared when I see his number on the field. Yep, his sna- Adderley's snaps are, in, are not Adderley. Um, Gilman. Gilman's snaps seem to be increasing every week, and I'm yeah. a little uncomfortable with that. Very. Um, but Adderley's hurting them. It's only going to get worse if Alohi plays. It's going to be really bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So a uh, couple questions here. Let's get to them. Uh, thoughts on Michael Bandy, who had uh, two big gainers before halftime. Uh, wish he would have got out of bounds on that second one where he tried to cut inside and make a little bit of a play, had to force the Chargers to make a timeout. But, uh, man, looked just like the preseason version of Michael Bandy. Uh, had a little wiggle, was wide open both times, made some good catches on the sideline. Yeah, he had <clears throat> the first catch he made was a beautiful double move. Uh, and up uh, like a almost like a like. A slant, a sluggo, kind of, mm-hmm. with a, with an outbreaking route to the sideline. Two beautiful moves to get open on the sideline. Did a good job getting out of bounds. Um, he looks solid. I mean, if they're going to play this short and intermediate passing game and they're not going to push the ball down the field, they need people who can get open in the slot. They need guys who can create space at the top of the route, and they need guys who can make people miss and create for themselves after the catch. And right now, Bandy's really the only guy that's going to do that. I mean, I know we saw Mike with some long catch and runs this week, but that was just him catching the ball wide open in the middle of the field because they lost him in zone coverage. That's not really him running away from people. Um, Bandy has the ability to make people miss and make plays with his legs and, you know, in tight windows and in space. So if they're not going to push the ball down the field, then I think a guy like Bandy needs more opportunities, probably whether Keenan is playing or not, because it'd be nice to have two guys who can make those kind of plays on the field. Yeah. Yeah, so he got in because Joshua Palmer went out for a little bit, and then Joshua Palmer came back, and then he was right out. But it seemed like he was adding a little bit of a spark there before halftime. Um, but yeah, that was that uh, sluggo route we showed you in the uh, preview uh, before this game. They did that Cortland Sutton route that they saw got a big gain in the week before on the Texans. Uh, next question here. Uh, well, we've talked about we've talked about Spiller asking about if he's a liability in the blocking department, and that's why he's inactive. Um, there was – oh, what do you think about the pass rush outside of Khalil Mack? Um, it has not been very good. No, uh-uh. Other than Morgan Fox getting consistent pressure. Yeah. It has not been very good. No. Rumpf has not been effective uh, like he was in the preseason, and they threw out the new edge player. Uh, his name escapes me. But saw him out there a couple times too. But yeah, it's it's not good outside of Mac. They they need some help. Yeah, they definitely need some help. And you know, while we're on the subject of Rumpf, they had issues with setting the edge, big time issues with setting the edge yesterday. Um, I think Rump is still getting pushed around a little bit in the running game. Um, they really miss Bosa in terms of run defense. He does so much dirty work up front to set up teammates, even when he's not making plays. He's taking on blockers. He's penetrating, forcing backs to stop their feet, um, clogging lanes. Rumpf is not really doing 
as, as many of those things. And I think it's making things more difficult on the guys at the second and third levels to come up and make plays. Seemed like there were just a lot more li- um, offensive linemen at the second level um, setting up runs yesterday. So hopefully Rump steps it up, but they need the running, the run defense is going to need some help and they need some additional pass rush. Um, I see so- somebody here saying KBN was a ghost on Sunday. I actually saw him stop a couple pass rushes in their tracks because the running back was ready to block him and he just stopped instead of taking mm-hmm. on the running back. Yeah. He he looks shot right now. Yeah, yeah. I he's he's done that a couple times this season. Uh and there was one other thing. Bryce Callahan, people are talking about Bryce Callahan and how he's been great, super underrated free agent Sam. I mean, he's been quietly one of the better uh, corners on this team and JC Jackson was supposed to be the big uh, marquee signing. And though he's been out, Callahan has been great in the slot. Got a second interception. He's been shut down on the slot. Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, Teresa Compapa saying that the coaching staff favors big, slow receivers. Uh, this is actually an organizational thing and it goes back. It really started in my opinion, um, when John Spanos took over for AJ Smith, um, running the football ops department, uh, they are obsessed with big, slow receivers. And it seems like that's probably not going to change anytime soon. So, but they, they need guys who can create. I'm not sure Carter's really somebody who's going to create a whole lot. I think Bandy's more likely to create for himself after the catch. They've got to find ways to find guys who can make people miss one way or another. Um, to, to take better advantage of some of those short passes, make some of those 15, those five yard gains, 15 and 20 yard gains by making somebody miss. Yeah. Let's see. Um, people were asking about Michael Davis. I haven't seen much of him. Uh, other than that big penalty on the return. Did he, did he sit after that? Because I was looking for him and I didn't see him. I don't remember. Oh, uh, Okay. Um, and then also, uh, want to give a shout out to Gerald Everett. I know he had the touchdown pass, but he was so good in the run game on Sunday. He felt like an extra blocker out there. Um, he was always finding a guy to hit, um, letting Eckler get those extra yards. He was awesome. Uh, not only as a receiver in the red zone, but he, uh, was great blocking on Sunday. Um, so let's just. Let's talk a little bit about Eckler because there's been a lot of talk lately, lately about Eckler being washed. <laughs> okay. And, um, you don't want to say anything about Everett? We're, I'm trying to give Everett his praise. He did good. Everett's been great. Okay. He's been all great right. all season. That's all I needed. Um, okay, go on. Outside all of that one drop in the fourth quarter, <laughs> the third quarter, he's <laughs> that been was really good. Brutal. That was brutal. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. All right. Um, Eckler. Eckler. So a lot of talk. Is he washed? He's been ineffective. He hasn't been very good on the ground. They're not giving him the ball. They had not been giving him the ball in the red zone as much. Uh, Really going to Michelle and Kelly in those situations more often than not, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just seemed like he was not on the field a lot for key situations. And I think what we saw is he had 19 touches yesterday, 13 rushes, six catches, um, and three touchdowns in 19 touches. Mm -hmm. They went to him between the twenties, they went to him in the red zone and every time they went to him, it seemed like he made a big play and he had a couple long runs. I think you can still see the shiftiness. You Mm -hmm. can still see the jump cut. 
the explosiveness through the hole. He's still slippery, uh, tough to bring down. He's had a lot of missed tackles in front or missed blocks in front of him. Mm-hmm. A lot of missed blocks, a lot of blown assignments. But th- what we know for sure is if Eckler touches the ball more than all the other backs on the roster, they're probably going to put some points on the board and they're going to win because the more like the more you give him the ball, the more likely he is to break a couple plays. And he came up huge, had a couple big fourth down catches for a uh, touchdown reception, a 20 yard touchdown run, a 10 yard touchdown run. And he showed that he still got it on those touchdown runs. In my opinion, Oh yeah, <clears throat> he needs to be touching the ball. I would say 15 to 25 times a game between runs and passes period. These other guys don't, I mean, Mm -hmm. Kelly, if you want to give him six to eight touches a game, fine. You could maybe even make an argument for 10 based on the way he's been running the ball, but we don't need to be throwing the ball to Sony Michelle. Sony (laughs) Michelle does not need to be getting six or eight carries a game. No, it's a, it's a waste of, it's a waste of touches. Um, So give the ball to Eckler, particularly in the red zone and good things will happen. They always do. I don't know why they got away from it, but hopefully he convinced them to stop whatever it was they were doing early in the season and just feed him in the red zone. Yeah. No, I thought through four games, it was pretty clear that he still makes people miss in the open field. I think just the offensive line and the way they've had to shuffle a lot of these guys, because there's been a lot of injuries so far this season uh, in that offensive line and the way Filer has uh, degressed uh, this season, it just seems like you can't, they haven't been able to get a lot on the ground. And I think uh, this whole Eckler being washed, uh, kind of narrative is uh, kind of misfounded and misguided a little bit. Um, it's pretty clear that he's still got it and he showed it on Sunday. And I thought with adding uh, Salier to the left side and getting Corey Lindsley back really, really helped kind of stabilize the run game a little bit more on Sunday. And I think that's going to help going forward. And it's, I mean, Eckler's the guy. Uh, you have to give him at least, uh, I was going to say, 20 t- touches a game. And that's about smack dab what you're talking between 15 and 25. You got to get him the ball more. And uh, he does better in volume. And he's always close to breaking one at any moment. He's always making guys miss. And I'm glad they went to him on the important downs, on the third down, on the fourth down. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's been. He was really impressive on Sunday. Uh, of course, Eckler was really impressive. And again, I thought with uh, with adding Corey Lindsley back, it helped a lot in that offensive line, and it helped Herbert have a lot of time to get his throws off on Sunday. Yeah, and I think running back is really a – it's a volume position. It's a rhythm position. Um, they've got – running backs have to be able to find their rhythm. And it's hard to do that if you're not getting touches. So, yeah. And I, I think it's no coincidence that he broke out with, with a three-touchdown game, and I think it was over 100 yards uh, total uh, – a hundred yards from scrimmage, excuse me, uh, because he got his 19 touches. Just feed that man the ball. Yeah, The offense runs through him. It runs through him. It partially runs through Keenan and everybody else just picks up when those guys are covered, mm-hmm. but it's got to run through Eckler, particularly in the red zone. It's always been its best when they feed him. They just, I think they just outsmarted themselves the first three weeks by trying to be creative and probably, I'm sure they probably tried to convince themselves they were keeping Eckler fresh by not feeding him the ball so much in the red zone, but Mm -hmm. just put the ball in the man's hands and let him score touchdowns. Get your good player the ball. That's uh, pretty simple uh, words to live by. So Junius here, uh, your guys' thoughts on Palmer. 
Just still out, or is it bandy man time? I think that's supposed to be jury still out. Oh, jury still out. Just yeah. still out. Jury still out on Joshua Palmer. Um. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, the ball's just not going his way. I think he's been open a lot. Yeah, um, especially last the first week. three weeks. Yeah, I I didn't I haven't had a chance to watch the game on all twenty two, so I don't know if he was open as much on Sunday. But the first three weeks, he was open a lot. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, Justin just isn't getting the ball. Um, so I'm I don't think it's time to give up on Palmer. Um, but I think when Keenan comes back and teams have to respect him and Mike, there will be more opportunities for Palmer in the middle of the field. Uh, sorry, I was just going through these questions here. Um, yeah, I think we're kind of close to wrapping up here. Uh, thanks everybody for uh, jumping in. Do we think Herbert looks to be handling his injury? Well, seems like we want to have to shut him down quite yet at this rate. I mean, he seemed, he said it felt better this game around and he didn't get hit. So I think at that point, uh, things are going in the right direction. Yeah, he looked much better. It looked like he trusted the protection. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought even taking the injury out, I thought the first three weeks there were extended periods where Herbert looked, I hate to use this word, but jittery. He just mm-hmm. looked really uncomfortable and nervous in the pocket, even when there was protection. Um, and the protection was so much better on Sunday. It seemed like he finally had a chance to settle down and trust the protection, get through his progression and make plays. Um <clears throat> <clears throat> so <clears throat> excuse me so I do think he um I do think he's handling the injury better seems like he was better physically on Sunday and as a result he was more confident and better from a production standpoint yeah and um yeah a lot of people talking about the matchup coming up they've got the um they've got the Browns coming up this week Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt and they're gonna to have to stop those two, and uh, yeah, I think I think we're good here. I think the um, the important thing to he- to kind of end on here is to remember th- what happened at the end of this game and take out that third quarter. Think about that first half, and just remember that the Chargers went on the road and sealed this game. They could have easily folded like the old, old Chargers, and once um, Carter fumbled that kickoff return would have just let them score and then had to come back and win that game and then ultimately didn't. But they held strong. They held them to a field goal. They went in. They extended the lead with a touchdown to Eckler, marched down the field and did it so, and then got a pick to seal it. I couldn't ask for a better way to end that game, and I think that's the most important thing to end on is that the Chargers had a good win, a solid win, uh, shut the door on the road against the Texans and won that game. Yeah, they closed a road game and they won by two scores. Yep. That is never a bad thing. <laughs> Even though they had a bad third quarter. Yeah. That is never a bad thing. Not at all. Okay, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate you guys coming on late here on Lightning Round After Hours. You guys see I'm at Gary Jamie's at Lightning underscore round, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.